Our God is faithful. It landed on this side of the room. Let's try again. Our Father is faithful. Amen. How quickly does that seem to just escape us in the moment? Like we, we know this up here, but then as soon as life kind of collides with us, we immediately switch to our own strength. And yet our God, our Father is a faithful provider. He's a faithful deliverer. He's faithful in forgiveness. And he's a faithful healer. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about the Lord's Prayer. Matt unpacked it last week, doing an excellent job that it's actually the disciples' prayer. This is the prayer for us to pray. And he discussed that Jesus uses this prayer as a template, a model, not just for us to memorize and repeat it on rote, but as a template for us to pray. And it gives us the right attitude and the right priorities in our own prayer. Our own prayer isn't just about getting what we want, but our Father in heaven. It's an attitude of, of intimacy, a paternal relationship in heaven. We come with reverence before the king of all creation. May your name be made holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our priority is God's glory. Our priority is the expansion of his kingdom. And our priority is that we will conform our will to his will. No, this isn't about getting what we want. It's about a surrender in dependency to our God's faithfulness. And we can't take our eyes off of that. And so Jesus switches in his template from a focus on the preeminence of God to man's needs. And man needs provision. Man needs deliverance. Man needs forgiveness. And man needs healing. We're going to go a little bit out of order today. So just follow along with me, and I think, I think we'll arrive at the same place at the end. Let's pray. Heavenly, holy Father, oh Lord, that you would anoint my mouth and anoint me to speak your word with truth and faithfulness, with clarity and with conviction. Lord, thank you for using a clay vessel a fallen, broken person to speak your truth, your divine, eternal truth. Lord, I surrender to you and to your faithfulness. In your name we pray, amen. So this past week was kind of a crazy week for my family. Some of you already know. In the middle of my preparation for this, I get a phone call from uh, my wife's BFF, Lacey. She lives across the street. She brought her kids over to my house. And if she's calling me instead of my wife, there's a problem. So I pick up and she says, Silas fell. He hit his head and there's blood. There's a lot of blood. So I, I hung up and I drove home. And I'm really, really glad that there were no state troopers because of how well I submitted to the speed limit. And when I came in, Jackie has her arms around his head. She has a cold pack on the back. He had been trust falling backwards off of a deck box. 
aiming for a beanbag, and when he missed, he hit the windowsill. And so he split, right back here, he split his scalp open. It was about an inch and a half long. It had to be at least an inch or a half an inch wide. Just split it open. And so, and I'm going to be honest. I got to just be, I have to be brutally honest with you. My first thought, my first thought was, I have wilderness first aid training. And I learned that whenever you're far away from everything, you can take the hair on someone's scalp, and you can tie the hair together to push their skin back together. Run a layer of super glue over that bad boy, and you're good to go. And thank God that like a runner out of breath, my common sense caught up. That my two-and-a-half-day seminar on wilderness first aid was not going to cut it. And before any of that came out of my mouth, it was... We need to get him to the doctor. So with an ice pack, we take him, and we rush to urgent care, and we got him there, and he got all taken care of. Isn't it amazing that our gut reaction in crazy moments is fall back on our strength, fall back on our knowledge, fall back on on the things that we're good at. I'll just work harder. I'll push stronger. I'll white-knuckle it. All the while, we are men and women of God who serve a faithful father. Over and over again, when we need provision, we need to get to the doctor. When we need deliverance, when we need forgiveness or healing, why do we so quickly fall back on our strength? when we have a faithful father. Let's take a look this morning. If you have a copy of God's word with you, at Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to the disciples' prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. And like I said, we're going to jump around a little bit. We're going to go from verse 11 to verse 13, and then we'll go back to verse 12. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread is representing our sustenance, our daily needs, our means of survival, our necessities, our bare necessities. Give us today what we need for today. I love that Jesus is is letting us have this. He's saying it's okay to pray for what you need. God is not rolling his eyes whenever you have a need for healing, whenever your finances are running out. When for some reason there's a broken relationship, it's okay to bring your needs to the Lord. In everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Bring your needs to God. This year, 2022, 19.1% of Americans deal with anxiety disorders. That's one in five are dealing with a disorder of anxiety. We all have worries about yesterday. We all have worries about today. We all have worries about tomorrow. We have problems in our employment, in our health, in our relationships, in our money. And we live scrambling for control, trying to snatch the reins, trying to lean from the back seat to grab the steering wheel. That's us. 
scrambling for control. And that's not a biblical perspective at all. That's not a perspective of God's people at all. Look at our writer in Proverbs 30. I love the way he lays this out. He's praying a beautiful prayer. And he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Some translations say, feed me with your daily bread, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? I have everything I need. I don't, I don't need the Lord. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is a believer who's saying, Lord, provide for my daily needs. And if you're paying attention, if you're reading this, then you're seeing that his heart is more concerned with his relationship with God and with God's glory and God's reputation than he is with his own needs for food and riches. That is the perspective of a man and woman of God. That's the perspective of a child of God submitting, surrendering, and dependency on a faithful father. So when we read, give us this day our daily bread, this is a prayer which surrenders our self-sufficiency and our self-reliance. It's submitting our personal care to his will to provide for us as he sees fit, when he sees fit. We're making him our provider. Praying this is intended to jog our memory. Daily bread. It's supposed to jog our memory. Is anyone ahead of me already? You go back to the Exodus story. And God has these single moments of incredible power for his people. He emancipates them from Egypt. He parts the Red Sea. He gives them victory in battles. They're slaves. And yet they're defeating warriors. But God isn't just an AC repairman who shows up when things get hot. He also takes them into a place where nothing grows, where there is no water. And he begins to bring bread from heaven daily. Why? What is he teaching them? He's teaching them his character, the character of a faithful father, a shepherd in the wilderness. He is training his people to depend, not on themselves, not on their strength, to depend on him. This is what Jesus is doing when he takes the people out into a desolate place and he breaks up bread and gives it to 5,000 people, 5,000 plus people is he's trying to cast their thoughts back to that Exodus story. And Jesus is saying, I am your God. I am your provider. I am Jehovah Jireh. I am the good shepherd. And it was that Jesus talking to his disciples when he said, you turn to your father and ask him for your daily needs. And it's this Jesus who in just a few verses later in the same chapter is going to say, do not be anxious. Don't ask, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? The unbelievers, the Gentiles, they seek after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He's ahead of you. 
but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You keep your eyes on the Lord, and the Lord's going to keep his eyes on you. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all that stuff. All these things that you're so quick to worry about, they're going to be added to you. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. We'll deal with that when we get there because your God, your provider is already in tomorrow. He knows your needs before you ask. In Psalm 37, David says, I have been young and now I'm old. Anybody testify to that? But maybe you can also echo David. Maybe you've seen this before. And yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. No. Our God is our provider. But I love how Pastor Matt pointed this out yesterday. Give us, plural, our, plural, daily bread. One of the coolest applications here is how God provides many times is he provides through us. For one another. Isn't that beautiful? Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And Jesus, he talks about this future day, this day of judgment. And he's going to have these people that come to him, and Jesus is going to look at them and go, Well done! Whenever I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. And they're going to be really confused. And I was like, when? I, um, when did that happen? And look how Jesus answers. They'll ask, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. When we serve others, we are serving Jesus. When we Withhold. We're withholding from Jesus. God calls us to care for one another. What does that look like? It looks like Ida smashing through Homa and Living Word becoming a distribution center. It looks like many of you that we saw from the outside, we were stuck in Destin. We couldn't get home. Beautiful place to be stuck. It looks like many of you that were taking care of other people's needs while your own homes were still in shambles, helping other people get back on their feet. No one does that outside of God's people. But God, in his people and through his people, many times provides for his people in that very way. So living word, if you see a need, fill it. You don't have to do everything. Just do something. Care for your people. So what does it mean to pray, give us our daily bread? When our daily needs create anxiety, when we're tempted to fall back on our own knowledge and strengths, Jesus is teaching us to put our dependency on our Father's faithfulness to go to the doctor who provides for us. I told you we're going out of order. Let's go to verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a prayer for deliverance from our adversaries. A prayer for deliverance from those things that cause us to sin. Now what is this not saying? It's not saying that we better pray or else God himself is going to lead us into temptation. 
That's not what's going on here. James 1.13 is very clear. Let no one say that when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. He himself tempts no one. This is better understood as spare us from circumstances that would tempt us to sin or simply lead us out of temptation. This is a prayer of a child of God who desires to avoid temptation altogether. Who desires so much not to sin against the one we love that we don't even want to smell temptation. Father, I want to be all yours. Guard my heart. Guard my eyes. Guard my ears. Guard my hands and my feet. Guard me wherever I go. This person loves their God so much that they're not asking the question, okay, so... So if, if this right here, if this is sin, how close can I get before I sin? Because I really want this. And we, we, we treat sin like a bad ex-girlfriend. You call up sin late at night, hang up quick. No. This prayer is coming from a heart that says, Lord, how far can you get me from sin? Because I love you so much. There is no one who holds my attention, my affection, my fidelity apart from you. Lead me out of temptation. But in this world, a believer is not set up for success. (laughs) Not even a little. We have three forces opposing us. At all times. We have the world, the devil, and our own flesh. 1 John 2.16 says, The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father. It's from the world. Society is hostile to godliness. It's hostile. And if society cannot seduce you, it tries to destroy you. That's reality. People have been fired from their jobs because they stood up for what was right. Think about Joseph in Potiphar's house. First, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce, and when that didn't work, destroy him, get rid of him. We also have an adversary in the devil. Other translations say, lead us out of temptation and deliver us from the evil one as a recognition of the one who's against us. He is not a competitor with us. He is an active enemy who hates us and he wants our total and shameful ruin. 1 Peter 5.8 calls him a lion seeking who he can devour. Jesus in John 10.10 says that he is out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He will find any angle to elicit your destruction. And if he can feed you candy until you starve to death, he will bring it your way all day and all night. Think about David and Bathsheba. All it took. You know what? The enemy enemy doesn't have to defeat you. If he really wants to hinder you, if he wants to put a screeching stop on your life, all he has to do is distract you. That's the story of David and Bathsheba. And then we have the third category. And I've got to ask you the question, and let's get real honest with ourselves. Why does the world 
And why does the devil have so much power in our lives? It's because we like them. From deep down inside, we love the sweetness they offer. We love the taste of everything they have to offer. And sin has been made attractive and accessible. Our enemy doesn't have to work very hard when the real traitor is already in the camp and the real traitor is already operating at the highest level of administration in our lives. James 1, 14 through 15 says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own, her own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We spend a lot of time pointing fingers. And we're pointing fingers thinking that a tempter is behind every corner when the reality is that the saboteur wears a mask of innocence in every mirror. The wolf in sheep's clothing is the sinner in our own skin. And so with these three forces constantly pressing in, we need deliverance from evil a work that only our faithful Father can do. Our only hope is the one who has overcome the world, who makes a way out of temptation and who has crushed the tempter's head at the cross. Our prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is a prayer which surrenders our ability to fight on our own. We spend a lot of time trying to fight temptation, fight the evil one, push back against the world, white-knuckling it. When the real issue is inside where we can't reach. James 4, 7 through 8, encourages us to let go. To actually surrender the many ways we come up with to fight. James 4, verse 7, submit. He doesn't say swing harder. He doesn't say grit your teeth. He doesn't say come up with a plan. Submit. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. I love the order. We can't resist the devil unless we have submitted to God. Draw near to God. So submission and then unity. Relationship, pressing in, proximity, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What hope can we actually put in our discipline? We can talk to ourselves. We can say, I can go to that party, but I'm not going to drink. I can quit this habit anytime that I want. I have the self-control. I have the strength. I'm strong enough. But if our holiness merely stands on our own determination— we can push as hard as we want, and we can even put on a mask of having arrived, but the power of our flesh just still remains. Resisting the devil begins with submission. Victory over our flesh is found in proximity to our Father. His Holy Spirit is the only one who can lead us out of temptation. He's the only one who can deliver us from evil. I love what Louis Giglio says. He says, I am free from, flesh, from the flesh to the degree that I'm controlled by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 
and then we'll jump to 24, says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Freshman year in college, I was invited by my Christian friends to go clubbing. Oh yeah, you laugh. And actually, it was the chaplain in my dormitory that was like, dumb, I don't think that you should go. I was like, well, we're all Christians. We're not going to drink, you know. I'm not going to pick up some trashy girl or something. We're just going to go dance and have a good time, you know. And he was like, dumb, I don't think you should go. Oh, okay. So I went. And we all piled into one of my friend's cars and drove downtown Tulsa. And uh, as we got out into the parking lot, I can hear the music, you know, you know. And I can see, like, a lot of motion going on. And it was at that moment, I mean, there, there is nothing, there's nothing behind that glass but the world of flesh and the devil. And I was, I'm, I'm about to walk across the parking lot, and it was like so clear in my spirit. It was like the Lord just impressed and said, Dominic, I'm not in there. And it was like my heart was gripped. I was so uncomfortable all of a sudden. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to go all of a sudden. I, I, I don't want to be anywhere where my dad is not. I, I don't want any of it. And so I was like, I'm trying to come up with like something. I came in someone else's car. I was like, um, you know, I really like walking around downtown places at night. And I do. And suddenly, one of my friends, his name was Mike, he goes like this, he goes, he's like feeling his pocket, and he goes, oh, I forgot my insulin pen. And Mike, dealing with severe diabetes, has to have his insulin pen. And he goes, guys, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to go back. I'm like, yeah. So God is not only at work on the inside, but God gives us a way of escape. Isn't God faithful? So what does it mean to pray, lead us out of temptation and deliver us from evil? When the world, the devil, and our own flesh are pressing sweetly on our desires, and we're tempted to fight using our own self-control and self-help strategies, Jesus is teaching us to put our dependency on our Father's faithfulness and go to the doctor. Go to the doctor who delivers us. All right, here we go. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts. Pause. What is the greatest human need? Is it love? Is it air? Water, food? No, our greatest need is forgiveness in our vertical relationship with our God, with our Father, with the Father of life. Our God who is life, who gives life, who with our sin we reject, so we're rejecting life and there's nothing left or death. Healing this relationship, this vertical relationship between us and God is the most critical thing because if you're a son or daughter of God and someone strangles your breath, you still have everything you need. You have 
eternity in close relationship with your father. But there's a problem. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Sin is the great separator. It's the great divider between us and God. And trying to clean ourselves with self-help books, with religious acts, with repeated rituals and self-improvement, it never reaches the problem. It's like using muddy hands to wipe dirt off our face. We can't get to the inside. But our camouflage of good deeds is only skin deep. We must have help from an outside source. Martin Luther called it an alien righteousness. One that is outside of ourselves. Given to us by a faithful God. So when we pray, forgive us our debts, this is a prayer of surrender. Surrendering our sin to the only one who can deliver us. So Jesus, just to kind of be clear, he's not asking us to daily ask for salvation. Our salvation is done. At our conversion, at our surrender to God, making him the king of our lives, our salvation is finished. Colossians 2, 13 through 14. This is so fun to read. I have fun reading these kind of verses to you guys. God made us alive together with him. Alive, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This, this record of debt, he set it aside and he nailed it to the cross. It was a one-time, totally sufficient gift. But what Jesus is asking us to pray is for restoration of our personal fellowship with our Father. This relationship, this fellowship that has been hindered by sin. The truth is, and I think this is a great example. I can, and I do this, and I'm sorry, please forgive me. I will offend or hurt my wife sometimes. The person I love most on this planet, I sometimes hurt her. But you know, I haven't dissolved our marriage contract. What I have done is I've created distance. Our trying to make decisions united, well, that's broken. Our having healthy communication, that's like wearing a ton of bricks. Everything is hindered, hampered, slowed by our relationship not being right. You see, Jesus has died on the cross for one-time salvation. You're good. He took his righteousness and he laid it over our filth. But day by day, we need to come to the Lord and be right with him and have this sweet relationship that he offers us. Jesus gave us this picture. He's washing Peter's feet. And Jesus, Peter's like, no, please don't do this. This is weird. And Jesus says, Peter, I've got to wash your feet. And Peter's like, okay, well, if you have to, then let's go all in. Wash my head, my hands. Let's, let's get her done. And Jesus is like, hold on. You're clean. But you have this, you have this daily contamination you have, this, you have this filth of walking in a very real world, of being pressed upon by the devil, your own flesh creeping up to the surface again and again. Come to me, and I'll wash you again and again. Listen to the, the groan of David's heart when he feels separated from God here. This is Psalm 32. He begins 
maybe almost looking outward. Maybe he's looking at someone that is walking and living in the joy of the Lord, a joy of right relationship with God. And he begins there. And listen to this. Blessed, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, when I didn't repent, when I didn't ask forgiveness, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgive the iniquity of my sin. And he can count himself blessed. Our God is faithful. And the good news here is that God is eager. Eager. He's like the father waiting at home for the prodigal son. At the first glimpse of our return, he runs. He's eager to forgive us. Nehemiah 9.17, you are a God ready to forgive, ready, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember how I mentioned David and Bathsheba, that whole Days of Our Lives episode of his life? He was in sin, unrepentant, unforgiven. And God sent Nathan, who must have had some serious backbone. God sent Nathan to come and confront the king. And Nathan laid this out beautifully. And when he did, David was cut to the heart. It was like a veil was pulled back. He hit his knees and begging for forgiveness. Why? Who is Nathan? David's king. He can have any woman he wants. He's king. He can execute whoever he wants. No one batted an eye when he said, bring her to me. Okay. He's king. Why did Nathan have such power in this moment? But we know Nathan had nothing to do with it. It was because David's heart hungered and desired and ached for a right relationship with his God. And he had a wake-up moment that he was separated. David yearned to be in God's presence. Listen to David's confession in Psalm 51. We're going to read the first couple verses and then jump to 10. Hear David's tears. Picture David knees down on a stone floor, broken, having murdered his friend for the sake of his lust. Realize that he says that he's eating his tears all day and all night. Listen to the brokenness. Have mercy on me, O God. Not according to my goodness, but according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. 
Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David needed an outside righteousness because it wasn't coming from inside. It had to be an outside force. We can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's just a saying. Lay on the ground, grab yourself by the heels of your shoe and see if you can pull up on them. That's not the way it works. Create in me a clean heart. Oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. That's it. There it is, the key to this whole prayer. Please don't put me away from your presence. Please don't let us have space. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing heart. That relationship was his highest desire. Living Word. Are you cut to the heart for your sin? Or when you think about it, are you just callous? Living Word. If not, I beg you to begin praying that the Lord would begin to soften your heart. To exchange a stony heart with one that beats for him, one that bleeds for him. A love for your father that you run from sin. And anytime there is a hint of sin in your life, you run boldly back to the throne to climb in your father's lap and ask for forgiveness and tears. Because that relationship is the most important thing. It's more important than air. It's more important than food. It's more important than the love of any human being. Living Word, this is where we have to be. And if we're not there, and I'm rarely there, may this become the prayer that we have daily. Forgive us our debts. What does it mean to pray? Forgive us our debts. When we feel the weight of our sin and we're tempted to try to clean ourselves with superficial masks, rituals, and self-improvement, Jesus is teaching us to put our dependency on our Father's faithfulness to go to the doctor who forgives us. All right, you guys ready? This is the roller coaster part. We are glancing down and we're about to have some momentum. Buckle up. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So we just discussed a broken vertical relationship, us and God. And Jesus throws in concern for a horizontal relationship between us and the one another in our lives. Those we believe who owe us something. And Jesus sees this need of our reconciliation. He sees that we mentally treat people like they are our debtors. What is unforgiveness? It's believing that we're owed something by someone. We are, we are owed an apology. We are owed reparations. They need to get it together. And then I'll forgive them. Remember, sin is the great separator. It separates us from God and it separates us right here from each other. We all have we all have clay feet on the rugs of each other's lives. And we all have been hurt and offended. And let's be honest, we have all hurt and offended. Peter totally forgot this when he comes to Jesus in Matthew 18. And he's like, Lord, how often 
will I forgive my brother who sins against me? As many as seven times? All right, this guy, he's down to two. And when he gets to one, you better watch out. Because the forgiveness isn't coming. No, Peter's keeping tally marks. And Jesus is like, Peter, you don't have enough fingers and toes to track. He says, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. Go ahead and just multiply whatever you think, Peter. Jesus throws us this really big curveball as. This two-letter word may be the biggest word in the New Testament. As. This tricky little as measures the forgiveness we receive from God against the forgiveness we give to others. As. And then Jesus actually comments on this here in verse 14. For if, oh, there's another scary two-letter word. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now what's this not saying? It is not saying that we lose our salvation when we struggle with unforgiveness. This is not the unpardonable sin. Forgiveness is not the work that we have to give to earn our salvation. We are saved by Christ's all-sufficient work on the cross. Our debts nailed to the cross, his righteousness laid over our filth. So what does it mean? It means two things. When Jesus says God will not forgive you, we have to understand it on two levels. And the first level, here's a scary one, that someone who refuses to forgive, no desire, no pressing on their spirit to forgive, may not be saved at all. This hardened posture exposes a resistance to God and a lack of appreciation for the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus actually gives a parable talking about this. There was this servant, and he had a debt to a king he couldn't pay in a hundred lifetimes. And he and his family are destined for the dungeon. And he comes to the king and weeps and begs for forgiveness. And the king says, you got it. I'll give you unmerited favor, unmerited grace. And he's pumped, and he runs out, yeah! And he finds a servant that owes him very little money. And he grabs the servant and goes, the king just, no. He goes, you owe me money. And it says he strangled him. Give me what you owe me. It's like all of this just didn't happen. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that if you refuse to forgive, there may be a reality that all that has not happened for you. You haven't tasted forgiveness and grace. Those who show no grace demonstrate that they have never tasted it for themselves. If you have truly been saved, if you have truly been forgiven, you're going to feel the magnitude of Christ's gift to you who are unworthy. A high-priced gift, and out of gratitude to our Father, and out of obedience to our 
king will give it to someone else. That's the first level. The second level is that for believers, when we resist giving forgiveness that we've been given, we are sinning. Unforgiveness is sin. Jesus has commanded us to forgive. So, if we are being disobedient to his commandments, we're in sin. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So we're damaging that relationship with the Father that we just talked about before. We're creating space. We're creating that distance. If you're clinging to debts, you're in disobedience. It's time that you forgave and then refer back to the first half of this verse and you go and you ask for forgiveness. Now perhaps you've been really wounded and you're thinking to yourself, you don't understand what they did. Like, like you can't from the safety of your, like your little realm wrap your mind around what was done to me. God only has to forgive me for a small sin. But what we're talking about was huge. Yeah, I, I don't know 100% if all sins are equal. But I do know for 100% that this question is totally irrelevant because all sin separates us from God. Okay. Pastor Matt, Levi, would y'all help me? Come on up. Impromptu. They have no idea this was happening. Oh, Logan. Sorry, Logan. Dude, you're getting tall. Looking like your brother. All right. Logan, he's going to represent Jesus. Growing in him every day, right? All right. So, here, you can come stand over here. And Matt represents a friend that offended me. I can't imagine that he would ever do that. You can start, whoa. Yeah, yeah, right there is fine. It's impromptu. All right. If I love Jesus and I am offended, hurt, damaged by Pastor Matt, you have to realize that a rejection, is this making sense already? If I reject my brother, I have also turned my back on Jesus. It doesn't matter which side. I mean, Logan be standing right here. It's the same thing. As soon as I withhold love, I withhold forgiveness, I'm in disobedience, and I'm creating distance, I've also turned my back on my Father. The magnitude of what has happened pales in comparison from a broken relationship of your heavenly Father who loves you. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping that they're going to die from it. Thank you, guys. Y'all give them a hand. Jesus commands us to love the way he loved. And how does Jesus love? Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, enemies, in rejection, fighting, seething, biting at him. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Remember what he said about the people that nailed him to the cross, that chanted crucify him? Father, 
forgive them. Yes, our Father expects us to love someone who has sinned against us, who has hurt us. At the cross, Jesus defeated sin and death, restoring the vertical relationship between God and us with the unmerited gift called forgiveness. And further, Jesus' work on the cross opens a locked door in our horizontal relationships and places an expectation on his followers. He gives us that divine gift with the command to wield it with the same unflinching commitment that he did. Brothers and sisters of Christ, how often do we put conditions on people? They need to make things right here. I'm innocent in this. But Jesus calls us to follow him. Please listen. In unconditional forgiveness. Is there bondage in your life? Is there something that ties you down? Is there a sin that just won't get unrooted? It may be evidence of a lack of forgiveness towards someone. It may be evidence that there's a hindered relationship between you and your father. You may be under the discipline of your heavenly father. Go check out Hebrews on that subject. Let's see if I can give you a mental picture. Imagine a seed, cute little seed, and you put it in the ground and you water it. I don't know why my, I water it with this little water. And it grows a little sprout. It's so cute. Little green sprout. Now let's imagine that instead of it being a cute little plant, that this was a seed of a weed. And I, I want to get rid of this weed seed. I'm not really sure what to do with it. And maybe if you've lost your mind, you'll just try to bury it. And you'll push it as deep down into the ground as you can get. You're going to cover it all up. And you don't ever have to see it again. And what's going to happen? Deep down where we can't see, that little seed is going to begin to grow roots. And they're going to go deeper. And they're going to spread just a little bit wider. And then one day, when this seed of bitterness, the seed of unforgiveness, the seed of anger, one day, we're going to be in a pressing situation. Someone's going to say something. We're going to have this old emotion. We're going to lock eyes with someone. Something's going to go wrong. And suddenly, this seed that we forgot was down there, or maybe we didn't forget, we're just trying to ignore it, sprouts above the surface. And we fly off the handle with anger. Or suddenly, we're depressed and we can't explain why. Suddenly, temptations are just blaring in our vision. Because of this weed that is growing in the soil of our hearts. What's supposed to be in the soil of our hearts? Joy? Peace? Patience? Love? God's very word is supposed to be planted in our hearts that's growing in this beautiful garden. And right in the middle of this garden, we have a growing weed. So we say, we're like, oh man, that was, that was messed up. I'm not really sure where that came out of me. So we, we take, um, let's say, some garden shears. We go over to the, the little weed and we're like, okay, 
we get as close to the ground as we can, snip, throw that away. I put my band-aid in the situation. That's not coming back. Maybe if I just ignore it long enough, it'll go away. It'll just die off on its own. If enough time passes, but what's going to happen again? It's going to grow again. And then suddenly we're, we're acting out of character. The love and joy and the patience and everything that God has put in us is just invaded and mingled. And so we keep going back and we keep cutting it. We keep cutting it. We keep cutting it. What has to happen? What really has to happen here is that we go into the very roots and we pull it up. And you know what? That root may be tangled with a bunch of other things. It may hurt a lot. It may be very, 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 very uncomfortable. But unless we get the root out, we will not be free. No one here is going to be foolish enough to bury a weed. Why do we so quickly bury offenses? in the soil of our hearts. Maybe it's just easier to bury them and manage the symptoms. Think about sandburrs. Boy, sandburrs. They're those like little spiky balls and, and they turn barefoot fun into like fire walking, you know? Suddenly my kids and they're like, ah, you know? Last summer I was in my backyard and I'm like pulling them up. I, I grab the plant and I pull it up as hard as I could, you know? And what happens? Have you ever pulled them up? When you reach down and you pull them up, the little vines go everywhere. It's like a web. You pull and they run every direction and they're under the grass. They're between the grass. They're mingled with the grass, right? So you have to realize, let's keep this metaphor going. This unforgiveness that's growing in the gardens of our hearts, this healthy grass all of the water and nutrients that should be going to the healthy grass are being sopped up and eaten by this thing that's mingled in between them. And so God has freedom for his people. God has restored horizontal relationships for his people except the love and the goodness and all the fruit of the Spirit, all the gifts of the Spirit, all of God's word planted in us is being compromised by this thing that's growing and sopping it up. How do we get to the root? Again, I'm not going to tell you something that you can do. We're going to get to the doctor. How do we finally get to the root? We first take our eyes off of that person. We take our eyes off of ourselves. And we put our eyes on Jesus and his immeasurable grace for us. Look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings, the NIV says, entangles so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So how do we go to the root? There isn't a spiritual trowel. There is only that we look to Jesus that we submit to him, that we draw close to him. And his Holy Spirit in us, the doctor is going to go to work. And the doctor is going to begin to churn things in our hearts, 
to give us convictions, to challenge us, to give us strength, to begin to do what maybe today seems impossible. Why? Because he's in us. He's our faithful father. Take a moment right now. Living word, who has offended you? Who's angered you? Who's wounded you? What are some of the judgments or negative beliefs that were created about that person? What were some of the judgments or negative beliefs that were created in you? Maybe you think that you're no good because of this. Maybe you think that you'll never succeed because of this. What were some of the judgments or negative beliefs created about God because of this? With God's help, you can choose to forgive them, drop the charges, and surrender them into God's hands. Pray that the Lord, your Father, is going to break this offense and break the power of it over you. Maybe you need to be honest about some sin that you had in this situation and you need to ask for forgiveness too. Ask the Father to call this person to repentance. Ask this Father to save them if they don't know him. Is God moving in your heart to repair a broken relationship? Pray for the strength to walk in obedience. Pray for the strength to take the first step. Maybe the second step too. Maybe the third. Charles Swindoll says, we are most like beasts when we kill. We are most like men when we judge. We are most like God when we forgive. So Silas is fine. We took him to the doctor. We prayed as a family while the nurses buzzed all around us, getting stuff ready. The doctor, with wonderful bedside manner, said that he was going to turn into the exorcist. Wow, that calms your heart as a parent. We laid him face down, and the doctor took the big giant needle, needing to numb all the area before he really hurts my son. And Silas lay there in peace. My wife went around, she kneeled down, looked him in the eyes. I put my hand on his back and just prayed. And the doctor stuck him and stuck him again and stuck him again. And he could feel his muscles tense, but he never cried. He never fought, never twisted. And the doctor started saying, wow, wow, I can't believe it. I've never seen a kid this tough. And after the last staple was put into his head, he has five staples now, you see him running around, he looks like Rambo. It's pretty cool. Kind of wish it was a red band, you know, bandana around his head. And after he's done, the doctor said, I am so impressed. I've never seen a kid take it like that before. And what's ironic is that Silas was wearing an Iron Man costume when this whole thing went down. And now because of five staples, he is actually part metal now. <laughs> That's kind of cool. In hindsight, now operating with a clear head, the thought of taking things in my own hands was so silly, so foolish. When I submit to you that we do this every day, that we look at gaping wounds and we try to come up with our own solutions. We look at the filth of our sin and we try to come up with our own solutions. We try to, we look at our checkbooks and we look at the needs around us and we come up with our own solutions. We look at all the pressing of temptation and we come up with our own solutions. 
But Jesus is calling us to take our daily needs, our temptations, our sins, and our hearts, and we go in surrender, depending on the faithfulness of our Father. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God, and the peace, the peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Recap. Jesus instructs the disciples to surrender through prayer, putting our dependency on the faithfulness of our Father. Our Father alone provides for our daily needs, delivers us from our adversaries, restores our relationship through forgiveness, and heals our relationships with others through forgiveness. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you so much that you would make us your sons and daughters. There is no reason you would pick us. No reason apart from your good pleasure that you would call us, that you would forgive us, that you would empower us to respond to you. Thank you, Lord. And I pray right now in this room for every man and woman who needs freedom, that you are at work, doing something they can't see, lining up events, strengthening them, wake them up in the middle of the night, do whatever it takes to restore the relationship between you and them and show your faithfulness in restoring the relationships between us and each other. Lord, if there's anyone in this room who is dealing with very real anxiety for life struggles, money is not adding up. The job is in question. The doctor said it might be cancer. Lord, that we will come to you, our provider, our faithful Father, that will turn our eyes towards you, that there will be a peace in our hearts that surpasses, that dominates our human understanding. And Lord, if there's anyone in here who's dealing with sin that they just can't seem to be free from, that when no one's around or when they're stressed or whatever it is, Lord, they always come back to the sin again and again. Maybe they question their own salvation. How can I keep dealing with this? If there's anyone in here who keeps feeling the pressure of a very real enemy, Lord, let them turn to you. Let them draw close to you. Go to work as our defender. Go to work as our victor. Crush the head of the enemy. Make a way of escape in those times of temptation. Work inside of us. May we lean into walking in your spirit, rejecting and putting to death the flesh. Set your people free and let it be today. We love you, our Heavenly Father, and we submit to you. In Jesus' name, amen.